The Oilers make a couple one-for-one trades because what else is new? Our rapid fire kind of sort of turns into an all-goalie segment. The chatter picks up on two of Ottawa's star players with another Canadian team possibly in the hunt. But first, we look at one of the most entertaining scoring races that we've seen in recent memory. 159 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we go any further, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are we ready for this week's question? Um, yeah, I guess so. All right, question 47. Why did Doug Harvey refuse to attend his Hall of Fame ceremony in 1973? A, a fellow inductee that year was once his chief on-ice rival... B, NHL owners had once ostracized him for his union activities. C, he was bitter about the way his NHL career had ended. Or D, he had wanted immediate entry into the hall with two other inductees. Uh, the only one that makes, I mean, I don't really know. But the only one that makes sense is the um, the union. The NHL, he, was, he was too big into the union. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, that would be B, NHL owners have yep. most ostracized them for his union activities. Are you going with that? I am. Unfortunately, it was because he wanted immediate entry into the hall with two other inductees. Oh, wow. Okay. So not, not that extreme. Yeah. He, wa- he, he, wanted to, uh, he wanted to get in the Hall of Fame with Gordie Howe and John Beliveau in 1972. Um... But uh, apparently, how and Belvo sidestepped their usual three-year wait after retirement, and um, Harvey felt entitled to that same recognition after playing his last game in 1969. Uh, that didn't happen, and uh, the rest is history. Huh. All right. Interesting. I thought. Yeah. I I guess I I was thinking maybe that, but then I was just like, uh, probably not, because. Hockey players tend to be more humble about that kind of stuff, but um, I guess not. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll see. Um, anyways, I'm I'm not sure how to start this uh, topic, but actually, speaking of, well, Patrick Kane's definitely making it into the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. Nikita Kucherov probably had is probably making it if he continues this pace for a couple more years I think he'll be in the Hall of Fame um, especially if he wins a Stanley Cup um, so those are the two big, big players that we're going to start with um, today because they both have milestone type seasons right now um, so usually I, actually this is a good segue because that, that question was a good segue because back in the 80s and sort of, you know, in the 70s, like, scoring was very high. Um, and nowadays, since the, after the lockout, um, it's, it seemed very, like, it seemed pretty much that there was at least, like, one player uh, who would get 100 points and maybe a couple would get five fifty goals. Um, it was, like, a very rare occasion. And now... 
at this point, uh, there are 10 players who have 70 or more points at this stage. And if you do the, the paces, because there's like about, uh, they've each played 60 games. So that means that each of these players would have to get 30 or more points um, in, uh, in about like 20 games, um, which is doable. Um, but they, um, but the point is, is that like the, the big guys that we want to showcase are right now are Nikita Kucherov and Patrick Kane. Uh, Nikita Kucherov um, has 94 points in 59 games, uh, which is crazy. I mean, it, it is basically like we're back in the 1980s. Um, uh, he if he's projected to finish with 131 points um, if he were to play all 82 games at this moment um he has like multi like the last three games he's played in oh the last well he didn't score on saturday but the in his last five games he has a couple of multi-point games um somewhere he had like four point games um i mean that a lot of that has to do with just how dominant the lightning have been overall but at the same time it's um you know kucherov is like th their best player by far not to take anything away from Braden Point or Steven Stamkos but Kucherov is the player that stirs the drink out in Tampa um so yeah uh any thoughts on like how crazy Kucherov is this season well last year like you said you can count the number of 100 point scores with one hand basically mm -hmm. this year we might get more than five players to hit this milestone and of course Kucherov and Kane are the most likely uh when you look at Kucherov's stats and you look at Tampa Bay as a team Tampa Bay is so dominant as a hockey club they have 92 points right now mm -hmm. no other team has reached 80 points this year Nikita Kucherov hit 90 points before his team reached 90 points yep like the dude almost has 40 power play points on his own he had back-to-back -back four point games last week against Calgary and Dallas. Um, he also collected multiple points for a fourth consecutive game. The second time, the second time he's done that this year, he went seven straight outings with two plus points from December 18th to January 3rd. He has collected, and this is a crazy stat, he's collected only three of his NHL leading 94 points on goals scored into an empty net all of which have been primary assists. He's the first player in Lightning franchise history to record his 90th point before his 60th personal game. He is the fifth different NHL player to do so in the past 20 years. Uh, more stats for you. First player in Lightning franchise history to record at least three points in three consecutive team games. First guy since Ilya Kovalchuk in 2005-2006 to post six, count them, six four-point games through his team's first 58 games in an NHL season. And prior to 1995-96, when it was done a bunch of times by guys like Mario Mew, guys like Yarmir Yager, Ilya Kovalchuk's feat that he achieved in 2005-2006 was the only other time that stat was achieved since 95-96. So two players have recorded six 
at least six four-point games through his team's first 58 games in an NHL season. Only two players have done that since 95-96. There was Kolchuk in 05-06 and now Kucherov with Tampa Bay. So you can say what you want about Tampa Bay, but it's really hard to ignore Nikita Kucherov's play. And and a lot a lot of the times we've argued, oh, well, he's not going to win the hard trophy because, you know, he's on Tampa Bay and they got a bunch of good players, yada, yada, yada. And then, then I take a look at his stats this week and I'm thinking – <laughs> you know what? He he might win the hard trophy too if if yep. he finishes with 130 points. Like why not? Like I remember, I think it was the year Joe Thornton was traded to San Jose. I think that was also in 0506. And combined with the Bruins and Sharks, he got at least 120 points. And that's the last time that I can remember where an NHL player has reached and surpassed 120 points in a single year. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I was, I remember early on in the season, or like before the season started, we were all wondering what how what was Connor McDavid's point total was going to be. Like, was it going to be? Was he going to get? Because he had like a hundred. He was the only player who had over a hundred points this year. Um, and you know, the sky's the limit with that guy. Um, yeah. And like, I just remember like how unlikely it was. Like. We all saw like if anyone could do it, it's Connor McDavid, and now it seems like Kucherov is might actually be the guy who could get one thirty points um, mm-hmm. if he plays the rest of the time. So it's uh, it is kind of absurd when you think of it that way. Um, I will say, and I will get to this because we do have a couple of questions, but. Um, I will say though, I, I, the, since the Lightning are so good right now, they could clinch the playoffs like uh, next week, um, which is absurd to me when you really think about it, because it's, like, mm-hmm. it's still a month away uh, from actual playoffs. Um, and the so I, I, I imagine um, John Cooper is probably going to rest. Um, Kucherov and uh, Point and Stamkos and like Hedman and all those guys. Yeah, like maybe give him a maintenance day here and there. So I, so that, so I would be worried from that standpoint, unless, um, like then, like it just means that, like if Kucherov, like maybe Kucherov does play just so that he can get to 130 points, but then it's it's also like. But then Stamkos will probably be rested, and Braden Point may be rested as well. So yeah, and and, you, know. and you met you mentioned a good point there, Brett, because we have talked about time and time again this year how this is Tampa Bay's best chance to win the Stanley Cup because yeah. of all the players they're going to have to resign after this season. So it would not surprise me with you bringing that up if they decide to give a couple maintenance days here and there right. to some of their star guys. So even, that but- even. Even Vasilevsky. Yeah, Vasilevsky's another guy, yeah. So it's um, it's one of those things that it's tough. Like, I'm not necessarily sure what they do. Um, like, I could see it going either way because there is, like, some merit to not resting your guys and just going, like, full limit all the way because I, I don't know if that's ever worked out uh, before, but, you know, they have a pretty good stranglehold on the Atlantic Division already, so mm-hmm. uh, they may not need to, um, 
you know, compete that much. Um, yeah, they, they can afford to rest some of their star exactly. players. It's just like, oh, we didn't get these two points, so we'll get the next two. Right, right. Deal. So, but, like, that could set your mind on a different point, like, during the playoffs, because then you're like, you know, it's hard to pick that back up again. So maybe there is some merit to that. Anyways, we're getting a little bit sidetracked here. Um <laughs> Patrick Kane is the other guy we're talking about. He's second. He's currently second um, on the points race. Um, he has 87 points in 58 games. The most notable thing about Patrick Kane right now um, is that he has um, a 17-game point streak. Um, and what's even crazy about this is, well, one, the Blackhawks are still in last place in their division. Um, even though they, they've gone on a couple of winning streaks um, of late, you know, they still have a good team. They're, oh, they're tied for last place in the Central Division, a correction here. Um, and um, so, so there's that aspect of things. However, uh, we did talk about Patrick Kane last week, um, just in terms of how um, good he's been. So we won't go too in-depth on that because we already talked about him a lot. But at the same time, it's, it's just um, what's, what's crazy to me is that, one, the Blackhawks are not great right now. Um, so it's like he's the, by far the best player on that team. Kind of like Connor McDavid right now, too. But to an even more extent that, like, 17 games... Is a uh, is for a point streak is a lot to uh, uh, so we have to talk about it. Um, also, he's thirty years old. Um, this is by far his best season um, of his career in his like twelve seasons of NHL or eleven seasons of NHL um, existence. Um, so um, yeah, it's it's just crazy how good he has been right now it just seems like he's turned another gear somehow even though he's technically pa past his prime um if you if you go by age mm -hmm. yeah and, and it could easily be 18 games because they're playing the Sens mm -hmm. um a few hours after we're done recording this so um unless the Sens pull up a miracle it's probably going to hit 18 right. games and, yeah. and we talked a bit about uh, his streak last week but um uh, a couple of more mind-boggling inf in, in, inform informative tidbits, I guess you could say, on Patrick Kane and how absolutely bonkers this point streak is. Um, this past week, he became the seventh player in NHL history to accomplish a 16-game assist streak or an assist streak of at least 16 games. Uh, I also believe him and Mike Hoffman have posted point streaks that have reached 17 games this year. First time that multiple players have recorded point streaks of 17 or more games in the same year since 2009-2010. That was a while back. And um, Patrick Kane is also one of three guys to hit 80 points by February 10th this year. Uh, first time that's happened since 95-96, which, uh, as we've mentioned many, many times already, seems to be uh, the year of offense before um, 05-06 or even before this year. So um, that, that just puts it even into greater perspective of how dominant Patrick Kane has been. And a reminder to everyone, the dude's 30. Yep. 
Oh, is that it? I thought you had more. <laughs> I, uh... well, I, I, I think it was any other week. Like, we had talked about Patrick Kane and the rapid fire before, so yeah. I, I didn't want to go too in-depth and kind of, like, beat the same dead horse again. Uh... But... But just to add on to everything that we talked about last week, and, and now yeah, he's the 30 Blackhawks. years old. You talk about Nikita Kucherov being rested. No way the Hawks are resting Patrick Kane because if they have any hope, any yeah. hope of making the playoffs this year, he needs to play every single game. Yeah. I think he probably needs to get three points in every single one of them. Yep. Just to have a shot at making a wild card. Right, right. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so who will, uh, win the Art Rice, Art, Art Ross, in your <laughs> mind? Art Rice. Um. Rename it the Carey Price Trophy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I have, uh, Kucherov, um, although unless Tampa starts to rest their players, um, I think then Patrick Kane can start to, um, uh, unseat him, um, assuming Patrick Kane continues this pace. Um, I could also see Connor McDavid because I remember last year Connor McDavid just went on another level on like the last two months of the year. Um, so I could see Connor McDavid, who now also has a respectable 83 points in 57 games. Um, but that's kind of what we've expected of him. Um, so far, although maybe he could do a little bit better, but you know, so like I, I would find it hard to count Connor McDavid out just yet. Um, however, like you know, Kucherov has 11 more points than McDavid does right now, so um, I think it's Kucherov um, because he has he has a nice cushion right now. Um, but I guess unless Tampa starts to rest their players, then I can see Patrick Kane, um, unseating that throne and becoming the Art Ross winner. Yeah, I, I think, I think Kucherov is the guy that's probably going to win, mm -hmm. but it, it seems like our opinions change every time the, uh, points race does. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of feel like we don't have a concrete answer for any of these. Yep. Um, and, and that just is a testament to how drama-filled this league is and how you can't really take anything for granted in the NHL anymore. And and I think that's what makes it even more appealing to watch uh, compared to previous years. Um, right. Because anyone can beat anybody. Anyone can outscore anybody. Um, I think Kucherov's biggest competition is McDavid. That being said, um, I think... Uh, McDavid's the only player that can catch up to him, and with all due respect to Johnny Gaudreau, he's on another level as well. He's playing yeah, very well this Johnny year. Johnny Gaudreau's another one too. But yeah. the Flames are starting to get production from their other lines now. I mean, Derek Ryan had three points against a pretty good Penguins team on Saturday. The Flames scored five goals in that game. Yeah. Johnny Gaudreau was not involved in any of them. He was held pointless against the Penguins. Um, you look at Edmonton, who is practically a one-line team, and they rely on Connor McDavid all day long. He seems to put up points no matter how good or how bad they do. Um, so that's why I put McDavid ahead of Goudreau. Uh, but given what Patrick Kane has done, I'm not counting him out either. The issue with Kane is that the Blackhawks aren't getting the type of power play time that Tampa Bay is getting. Yep. And they've been inconsistent on the power play to begin with. Almost every time the Bulls power play operates, it seems like an automatic they're going to score, and it seems like an automatic Kucherov is going to be out there. 
as I mentioned before, 37 power play points leads the NHL. He also leads the NHL in assists, so he seems to be getting points so long as somebody is scoring. Yep. And, uh, of course, a lot can change between now and the first week of April, but at the pace that he's on right now, I feel safe giving him to Nikita Kucherov. Um, it, I guess it all depends on how the scoring evens out in Tampa, what they do at the deadline, if they get another big piece. Um, but I think at this point, Nikita Kucherov um, looks to be the obvious winner. And I think the only guys that could catch him are McDavid and Kane, who are, um, I believe they are two and three behind uh, Kucherov. Uh, Kane is second, McDavid's third. Yep. Uh, they are currently, yeah. They're the only three that have 80 or more points right now. Right, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, and then we, uh, let's briefly talk about the Rocket Richard, um, which is the most goals, if you don't know. Um, so, that's even crazier, that's even a tighter race, uh, because you have, um, because usually, like, in a given year, if the season were to end right now, like, 40 goals is, you know, really good, uh, 30 goals is pretty good like it's one of the best you know it's it's above average um yeah like this this yeah. time last year no one had scored 40 goals and yeah. Ovechkin just hit that mark yesterday and Ovechkin yeah so I was getting there Ovechkin hit 40 goals and now 13 players have uh, 30 or more goals right now mm-hmm. um including Jeff Skinner who has 36 Patrick Kane has 35 um and Leon Dreisaitl which I didn't even realize he has 35 goals as well um, so, so it's not just McDavid who's getting all the points there. Um, but yeah, so um, in terms of Rocket Richard, I feel like um, the easy answer to go with is Ovechkin. Um, but I would not count out Skinner uh, just yet. Um, it seems like Skinner um, has been like a kind of a revelation in uh, Buffalo right now. He, uh, he plays yeah. really well with Jack Eichel, um, and they're just like a one t- good one-two punch here. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to go with Ovechkin because I feel like that's the safer option, but um, if I'm feeling risky, uh, I might go with Skinner. Yeah, uh, I think Ovi is still in the driver's seat. I mm-hmm. agree with you on that. I think his big competition right now is actually Leon Dreisaitl. Mm. Um, if McDavid keeps feeding him and he keeps scoring, because like I said, Oilers one line team, right. uh, he's got That's a shot point. of at least tying Ovechkin for the league lead. Um, I also think that Patrick Kane and Connor McDavid, maybe if they catch fire and start scoring goals as well, both have 30 or more this year. So... It wouldn't surprise me if one of them surpasses uh, Ovechkin. Yep. Um, I mean, Patrick Kane has two more shots than Ovi on the year, and his average time on ice is over a minute and change higher than Ovechkin's too. So uh, Patrick Kane can't count him out. If I had to pick a dark horse besides Dreisaitl, um, I'm thinking Cam Atkinson of the Blue Jackets. Um, 32 goals on 220 shots. Uh, depending on what happens with Panarin at the deadline, he could be their primary source of offense. Um, they also might be in the hunt for small star players if Panarin leaves. 
Um, so I think one way or another, he could have um, a big um, end to the season. And I think he will at least hit 40 goals this year. So um, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't count out Cam Atkinson in this equation either. Yeah, I, that's a good one too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I had a boring answer, but um, I just find <laughs> I that, the, the, you know, I don't know. It's just the thing with Jeff Skinner, and, and it's, not a bad, it's not a bad guess either. Jeff Skinner's yeah. second in goals. But it just seems that the Sabres have kind of displayed a bit of their inconsistencies yeah, that true. have probably burned them in years past. They're starting to look more human now. They're just trying to get a wild card spot because uh, Toronto is good. Boston is on a hot streak. Even though Montreal's kind of slumped lately, they're in a slightly better position than the Sabres are still. Yeah. So I- I'm just looking at the Sabres and I'm looking at the amount of goals they're scoring and how they're relying on defense and goaltending. I'm just thinking, even if Jeff Skinner is scoring most of those goals, like if their offense isn't clicking. I don't think uh, it's possible for Jeff Skinner to catch up to Ovechkin. Yeah, but at the moment he has four less goals than Ovechkin, yeah. so right now it's definitely yes. yeah, it's definitely possible. It, it's it's mid February though. So true, true. Definitely possible. Um, so speaking of which, now that we kind of already talked about the high scoring um, in this league, uh, what what do you? I mean, this. I guess this is all speculation because there's no real like proof of this. Um, so, but what explains the high uptick in in this uh, scoring being up right now? Um, I have a couple of theories, um, and they probably it's probably a mixture of all of, all of them. But um, I'll just list them out, and maybe you have others um, that you want to share um, afterwards. Um, so I was thinking, like, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was last year, um, they stopped calling slashing penalties. Um, I remember that because, like, Johnny Goudreau got injured because someone slashed his, uh, fingers, and then they just, uh, they started calling the slashing penalties now. So now, like, players are more willing to start, like, have more freedom on the ice because they know that slashing will be called um, unlike unlike the other times because when Johnny Gaudreau got injured um, that time like the penalty wasn't yeah, it was, called it was against Minnesota well, yeah. I think we've touched on that many times on the show right right so but yeah that that was a pivotal point I think I think that was a big a big point in terms of getting scoring to go up and this has kind of been what the NHL has wanted since the lockout since like yeah. the trap era uh, from the Devils is they wanted to get goalies uh, they wanted to get goals going up um, so that's one way um, also a player I feel like players are training better um, you know they used to like beforehand the goalies kind of like had like videos of all the different players and um, you know, they were scouting and like, that was why a lot of goalies were a lot better than they, they used to be because they were able to like, you know, use video and able to, um, you know, use more technique where beforehand it was just like, get a net and hope you can save the puck. 
But now I feel like players are kind of combating this by also doing their research and also looking at where goalies are, um, you know, what the goalies' tendencies are. And uh, so I feel like the players are training better and, like, scouting better and using their own research to uh, get better. Um, I think there's a couple of articles that I've read that uh, that show that like they're using iPads now, they're videotaping everything. So I think there is yeah. that aspect of like the players are now doing what the goalies used to do, um, and it's like a, it helps in that matter. And then yeah, last, they're, they're they're ahead of the curve as opposed to like um, noticing the, the trends of goalies like the day after when they go into like the video room and stuff like yeah. that, like they can see it on the bench in real time. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, this one, um, I think there's a lot more backup goalies in this league right now. So generally speaking, the level of like a good goalie has fallen. And also like, I remember last year we were talking about how like Vasilevsky was fatigued and, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different goalies out there that are just tired generally. And so when you do that, either one, if you put in a goalie that is fatigued, then you're more likely to get give up more goals that way. But then even if you take them out, um, you know, you're, the second, the backup goalie isn't as good as the starting goalie. So they're going to give up some goals too. Um, so I think there is a mixture of just general fatigue around goalies where, um, you know, more goalies are becoming more, uh, like tired, um, and you have to start to rest your players or rest your goalies to, uh, give time. But then when you do that, you run the risk of your team losing because the backup isn't as good as the starting goalie. Um, and I think there's more emphasis now where the backup goalie has to be better, but at the same time, it's still not great where I think, I think that's been the main reason why scoring is up is this whole idea of goalies being tired. It's not like you can save 30 shots every game anymore. Um, your body just naturally, uh, kind of combusts. Yeah, those are all um, pretty good theories, I must say. Okay. And I agree with quite a, a few of them. Um, taking a look at it, and I'm pretty sure um, around All-Star Weekend, I brought some of these stats up, but I'll, I'll bring up uh, some of them again. At the halfway mark of this year, which is January 5th, 2019, a remarkable 3,887 goals have been scored. That's an average of 6.1 goals per contest. Um... The year 2005-06 had 6.2 goals per game, and that year we saw the most goals scored in a single NHL season. So that kind of shows right there that uh, scoring is on the up. Yep. Uh, on January 5th, 22 players had scored at least 20 goals. Uh, heading into the All-Star weekend, it was at 43. We're now at 63, and it's February 18th at the time we're recording this. Mm -hmm. um, we had 33 players with 50 or more points heading into the All-Star break this year. We now have 65 of those. 
Um, 66 hat tricks have been scored. We've seen 108 four point games, which is crazy. Yep. Um, taking a look at uh, some of the players um, that have had 70 points, we you mentioned already there were 10. Only one guy had 70 plus points this time last year, and it was Kucherov, and he led the league. Yeah. He was the league leader in points. And we have 10 guys with at least 70 points already. Uh, um, Alex Ovechkin leads the league with 40 goals. We mentioned that. Uh, 13 guys have at least 30 goals right now. We've also mentioned that. Uh, what we didn't mention is that this time last year, we had five 30-goal scores. So we have eight more of those this year. And uh, Kucherov uh, was the league leader in goals at this time last year with 34. Uh, four guys this season have 34 or more goals. Uh, and as far as power play, uh, power play points goes, if you want to go there, last year this time we were at 19. We have 11 more of those, so we have uh, 30 at the moment. So uh, further proof to add to the debate, has scoring gone up? It appears it has. Um, and um, I, I think we're going to save this for another week, but um, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, Brett, because we've talked about this off the air. It seems like a lot of players are having career years, like Mika yep. Zibanejad and Sebastian Ajo is having a big year. You mentioned and, uh, Jeff Skinner. Point continues to take it up a notch as well. Victor yeah. Arvidsson, I don't know if you've seen how many goals he scored in the amount of games he's played. It's ridiculous. Miko Rantanen, another mm -hmm. one. He's another one. Um, so I, I, I think probably if I had to pin it to one reason uh, as to why scoring has gone up, it's just the conditioning. It's, yeah. it's the simple fact that players are faster. Yep. They're quicker. They're more deceptive. The pace of the game is faster. The short and fast players are dominating this league. They can excel in this environment. Yep. Everyone seems to be more skilled. The conditioning hasn't been nearly uh, as good as it's been over the past decade. And yeah. you look at the players age 25 or younger, they're driving the boat. Like Connor McDavid, Jonathan, uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Johnny Gaudreau, Mika Rantanen, Braden Point. Who drove? Uh, Sebastian Ajo, as I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's just a young, it, it's just a young man's game right now. Yeah, that, that's another good point too, where because it is a young man's game, there is less like, um, you know, like the the game has sort of relied or has depended more on speed versus like toughness and then when you do that when you rely more on speed you're more likely to like be more skillful and more um quick with your shot and stuff so yeah. um i think there is an aspect of that as well um that's a good point and also like you were mentioning that the game has gotten younger. Um, I think there is also an aspect of, like, generally speaking, defensemen, um, when you're younger, you're not as developed as, like, um, older defensemen. So then when you, you know, so you're, so younger defensemen are more likely to make defensive lapses in, um, in play. So then, you know, that's, that creates more mistakes when you rely more on young players, um, just defensively speaking. 
Um, yeah, and and I guess I guess the other way around too. If you're an older defenseman, you're kind of maybe having yeah. trouble keeping up with the play. I mean, look at Carl Alstner in Montreal. He's barely getting any NHL ice time. Like they mm. they buried him in the minors for half the time. Right. Um. So, uh, how many players could reach a hundred points this season? Um. I. So I, I just wrote out all the 10 players that have at least 70 points. You have Kudrov, Kane, McDavid, Goudreau, Rantanen, McKinnon, Point, Crosby, Stamkos, and Marchand. Um, I, so I did talk about um, the Lightning resting their players. Um, I feel like Kudrov will reach 100 plus before um, they do start to rest their players. Um, but I don't know if Stamkos and Point will reach there uh, before the end of the year just because of that rest resting yeah. phase. So I, I'm going to take those guys out. Um, also, I think the Avalanche are struggling pretty hard right now as they are a one-line team, speaking of McDavid and Dreisaitl. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like teams are starting to figure them out. Like, Rantanen and McKinnon were the hottest players in the league, uh, like in November, and they've kind of slowed yeah. down now. So I'm gonna also take them out, um, and I so that leaves me with six players that I think will reach a hundred points: uh, Kucherov, Kane, McDavid, Goudreau, um, Crosby, and Marshawn. Just makes it um, at a hundred points. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could see, like, some, there are some players on here that don't have 70 points and could get a surge, uh, like someone like Mitch Marner, um, Ovechkin, uh, they're all capable, Sebastian Ajo is capable, Panarin is capable, uh, depending on where he goes, um, if he's traded, uh, Pasternak, although I guess since he's injured for two weeks, that's gonna hurt him, but... Like, there is Blake Wheeler is another one. So they all have, all these guys that I just mentioned are definitely capable of getting 100 points. Um, I just, uh, it's, you know, at this point they have to, like, go on a crazy surge. Um, another guy to keep an eye on is Evgeny Malkin. Um, he's, he's lately picked it up uh, lately. Um, and Jack Eichel's another one. I feel like he uh, he could go on another level pretty soon too. So, um, but at this moment, I think I have six, and those are the guys I just listed. Okay, uh, I think it goes without saying because Kucherov has a seven point lead on Patrick mm -hmm. Kane. Uh, he's going to be the first to get a hundred mm -hmm. because he has ninety four right now. And yes, um, six more. With the, way yeah. with the way he's piled up four point gains, it he could get it by the end of this week. So yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, probably have a hundred points by the by the time we record the next podcast. Um, I would say taking a look at the guys with at least seventy five points. There are seven of those. There's, of course, Kucherov, there's Patrick Kane, Connor McDavid, Johnny Gaudreau, Mika Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, Brayden Point. Um, all of those are going to get 100. Yep. So I have seven players. Okay. Stamkos, I think they're dangerously close to 100. It wouldn't surprise me if one or both of them can reach 100. Uh, sorry for your boy, Brad Marchand. I think he just misses the cut. I think he'll get mm. 98. Wow. All but right. he won't get 100. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> Um, Save the audio file. Yeah, I I think 
I, I think it's going to be close, but I, I, I believe in him. I believe in Hart Marshawn. Um, yeah. That gives us back. Remember the old days where I was yeah. very big on hard candidate Marshawn. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're all close. But yeah, no, that, that is a good list. Um, I'm sure I did a hot take here with McK- McKinnon and Ranton and not making it because they basically have to not score any goal any points um which <laughs> which is kind of impossible um considering they are really good players um let's go to an are they for real section now um we're the first team we're going to talk about is the uh, arizona coyotes um so what's interesting about the arizona coyotes is they've lost anti ranta um it looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season uh, they lost Nick Schmaltz. They don't have Michael Grabner. Um, OEL has had injury history as well. Um, I think that I was reading somewhere that like basically all like a lot of their top players are injured. Um, like top six. Uh, yeah, Nick Schmaltz, Grabner, Richard Panic has is injured, although he has an illness right now. Um, but Ranta and Schmaltz are the big ones, um, and yet they're still like they could make the playoffs. Uh, they have a realistic shot there. Uh, they currently have 57 points. Um, they are fifth in the Pacific Division, um, and but they like you know they still kind of had um, been pretty good. Lately, uh, Clayton Keller leads the team in points with 38 points in 58 games. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk um, has kind of picked it up as of late, um, and he has 31 points. Uh, Derek Stepan has also picked it up. He has 27 points. Um, OEL has 27 as well. Um, so, so their scoring isn't great. Um, however, the big news here is that Darcy Kemper has kind of taken over the starting role here. Um, he's, although he started off slow, so the stats don't really back it up lately, but um, he is 14, 14, and 5 uh, with a save percentage of 9, 13, and a GAA of, um, where's the GAA here? Hold on. Uh, 2.68. Which is pretty good when you think about all like what Arizona has gone through this year, um, and then in February um, he has a GAA of two point eight seven and a save percentage of nine ten, uh, which isn't terrible, of course. Um, they they're gonna play in a couple of hours, right, as we record, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs because I feel like they. The anti-Ranta um, injury was a bit too much, but at the same time, I'm not like positive they won't make the playoffs. It's definitely possible for them because currently they are. Um, let's see here. Vegas has 68 points. They have 57 points, so they're 11 points out of reaching Vegas. But like the Canucks have 59 points. Uh, they the Wild who would ha- who have the last wild card spot in the West have sixty points, so there's three points out of that last wild card spot. So they could somehow make that wild card spot. Uh, they have a chance at least. 
um, which is something that not a lot of teams can say. So I don't know. I I I'm gonna. My gut is telling me that they're not gonna make the playoffs, but at the same time, I I kind of want to see them do it just for the while of the story. I think this team might have been for real had they stayed healthy this year, and I think that was the message that both of us were sending. Yep. And unfortunately, we've seen the exact opposite. Um, yeah, it's fair. Like you said, Darcy Kemper's been a really nice revelation for them. Uh, since the start of 2019, he has a 9-3-3 record, which is nice. Yep. Uh, he's been charged with more than three goals just three times during that 15-game stretch, which is impressive. Um, two goals or less in eight of those 15 innings, even more impressive. Um, so that that just goes to show you that, you know, he might have average stats on the year, but lately he's really starting to pick it up, which goes to show you if Ranta gets hurt, he can carry the load and he can put up decent numbers. Um, guys who have also picked up the load include Connor Garland. He has 11 That's goals and 14 one. points in 31 games. He... He came into the picture around the midway point. He's turned into a nice revelation for them. But the saviors that they needed are not here. Yeah. Of course, there was Dylan Strom and Brendan Perlini, who were expected to be key pieces of this team. Both have been traded to Chicago. Uh, have been traded to Chicago there. Apologies for yep. the voice crack. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, the guy they got back, had 14 points in 17 games, and then he got hurt. And now he's probably not going to be back this year. Yeah. Uh, Grabner has only played 25 games. Jacob Chikrin has played 36. Uh, Branta, of course, we mentioned him, the big piece there, hadn't even played 20 games before the injury. Um, you look at the guys who are healthy, like Clayton Keller. He hasn't been as dominant. Galchaniak leads the team in goals, but he has 13. Like, 13 goals to lead the team isn't really that much. Um, you have guys like Brad Richardson and Christian Fisher chipping with 11 goals, which I guess is nice. And... You have other guys like Derek Stepan and Richard Panic and Vinny Anastros and Nick Cousins, all with at least 20-point seasons. Lawson Krause, but, yeah. Yeah, Lawson Krause has been good, too. There hasn't really been a guy that's carried the load for this team that has really dominated, yeah. whether it's health or some other reason. And I think that stopped this team from playing to its full potential, mostly because they've been injured. I think they're just trying to play smart, play as a unit, grind out points, win games the ugly way. Yeah. And I think that's how they have to play if they're going to make the playoffs. And that might be why they're so low scoring early in the game, late in the game. Um, they're just a hard-nosed, physical, shot-blocking team that can't really seem to get too many shots on goal, but they're ninth in missed, so, they're ninth in missed shots, so they're getting chances to score. Um, they're not exactly picking the other team's pocket, but... They're also very careful to not have the same thing happen to them. They're just playing a very cautious game. They're playing disciplined hockey that can score shorthanded, as we all know. Um, they have the ninth most power play minutes this year as well. So, like I said, they're getting chances to generate offense. It's just that the health and the results haven't followed suit, and yeah. that's probably going to hold them back this year, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I had I was thinking more about their goalie situation. Um but yeah, I think that's we're on certainly at the forefront, you're not yeah. going there. Um but I think we're we're kind of on the same page that I feel like the skater situation, they kinda of need to pick it up if they want any shot at making the playoffs. Um 
But yeah, even if they do make the playoffs, I don't know if they could beat the Winnipeg's or the Nashville's of the world. Yeah, so I, I think if they um, make the if they make the Calgary's. playoffs, it's a wild card, and they get a very good team right off the bat, and they're probably done in like five games. Right, even four games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, but I I feel like this is a team that could be very good next year. I feel like we say this every year for them, yeah. but. Um, yeah, like, but like this this year, I feel like even more so because like Nick Schmaltz was one of the one of their best players, um, like in the um, when he was there um, in Arizona, um, and then he just got injured. So now that trade uh, kind of looks lopsided now that Dylan Strome's kind of been uh, pretty good now, but. At the same time, Nick Schmaltz is like a very good player, um, and it seemed like he was thriving there. So, assuming that he can return to form next season, I think they have a good player, and Nick Schmaltz could have been that guy for them. But yeah, and and Antti Ranta is also obviously hurt, and that's why I was so excited about them last, like before the season, was just because like I like. Antti Ranta um, had the potential to be a Bessina candidate um, and take this team over kind of thing. So um, it was, you know, so that's definitely a big loss for them. Um, but yeah, so I think if both Ranta and Schmaltz can be healthy next year, um, yeah, the, the Coyotes are one of those, te- are going to be one of those teams that, um, you know, kind of like watch out kind of thing. So uh, we'll see, but I feel like we say that every year. They're kind of like the Sabers of the Western Conference. Yeah, um, exactly, the Sabers yeah. of the Western Conference. And, but and yeah, in a similar way, they're also the Anaheim Ducks of the same conference right. because I think the only other team that's had to deal with more key injuries than the Coyotes is Anaheim, and yeah. like uh, Arizona, it's hurting them. Yeah, but at the same time, like you know, they have a lot of good pieces out there. Like Clayton Keller and Galchenyuk have had their moments. Um, and, uh, you also have, uh, guys like Lawson Krause, um, who, um, Connor Garland, as you mentioned, also Jacob Chigrin has been pretty good too. So, um, you know, they have a lot of good pieces out there, obviously OEL, the Swedish law firm too. So, um, it's not like they're out of it just yet, but, um, yeah, it seems like very unlikely that they're going to make the playoffs. Um, the good news, if I'm a Coyotes fan, is that the Ducks are old and slow. Coyotes are young and fast. Out of the two teams, they're probably going to overcome this quicker. But could the they? Ducks are in, or Ducks are in a much tougher position. Than but the they're Coyotes. also competing against the Canucks, um, and the Golden Knights. You know, like the Canucks have 59 points, um, so. Uh, two more than the the Coyotes, so it's not like the Ducks are the the team that they're competing most about. Mm-hmm. But like the Canucks also have their issues too, of course. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, we'll see. Uh, let's go to our next team is the Washington Capitals, the Stanley Cup winning team, uh, defending team. They are currently second place in their the Metropolitan Division. We have seventy one points. Uh, right now, um, however, they uh, recently lost to the. Um, oh wait, I forgot to mention that the uh, Coyotes did 
uh, shut out the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, mm-hmm. which is very impressive, obviously. Um, yeah, and, o- and yeah. only gave up 21 shots, too. Yeah, no so sort of, uh, that's... Not in the season. Exactly, especially, like, a very good team in Toronto. So um, mm-hmm. there, that's something. Um, but, yeah, Washington, on the flip side, Washington lost to Anaheim last night, um, yeah. or Sunday, 5-2. Um, to two. Um, they've kind of been, uh, they went on like a seven game losing streak just before the all-star break. Uh, they've yep. kind of like been in and out. Like sometimes they've won, like they've gone on winning streaks and then they go on like big losing streaks. Um, so they've kind of been a little bit inconsistent, but at the same time, they're still second place in, on a very, uh, competitive division, um, in the Metro, um, but, you know, so they have 71 points. They'll definitely make the playoffs at this point. But it's still, um, I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I feel like their fatigue has kind of come up right now. Um, Ovechkin uh, leads the team in points and goals, obviously, um, as he has 40 goals and 67 points. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom has kind of uh, had a little bit of a bounce back here. Uh, 55 points, uh, 42, ass- 42 of those 55 points were f- assist. Um, Kuznetsov has been good uh, when healthy, 54 points. Uh, John Carlson has 52 points. Um, TJ Oshie has been uh, decent with 36 points. Um, that's about it in terms of skaters, um, I want to say. Uh, Burakowski has 16 points, I don't know trying to think of like notable players that people care about but um and then uh on the goalie side of things um hasn't been as good um so Holtby has 907 save percentage and cop phoenix copley when he's been playing he has 903 save percentage um but the thing is is that um and they have around the same gaa as well um, with three, uh, Holtby has 304 um, GAA and uh, Phoenix Copley has 302, 3.02 um, GAA. But the thing here is that Copley has already played, um, s- started in 21 games, and Holtby has played in 42 games. I think Holtby was kind of injured t- towards um, the middle of the year, but. Um, Copley is not really Grubauer um, in the sense that he hasn't been as good, although he is 12, 5, and 1, and, and 3, um, but the save percentage and the GAA does not really reflect that. So um, that's something to look out for is how uh, the goalie situation in, in Washington. It seems like they're going to try to give Holtby some more rest, um, but at the same time, um, can we really rely on Co- Copley the rest of the way? And that, I don't think you can. <laughs> so uh, at this point, I think the Capitals are in the playoffs. Um, what they do in the playoffs is the question now. Um, I'm not sure if they can get far. Just I feel like the guys, it's hard to go back to back. So I don't know if they'll mm. do it, but... It's definitely possible. It's hard to count them out, per se. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the usual suspects, you know, Ovechkin, 40 goal score, yep. Carlson, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, all 50 point seasons already. Uh, Tom Wilson is actually looking oh, yeah, that's one respectable, one. like 28 points, 15 goals and 88 shots. That's pretty efficient. Uh, you look at guys like Jacob Verana, who have 18 goals as well. Uh, Lars Eller is right behind him with 117 shots, only seven goals to show for it, but he's getting quite a few shots on goal. Uh, Brett Connolly for a fringe top six, bottom six, has 30 points in 59 games. That's pretty solid. Uh, TJ Oshie, 36 points in 48 games, uh, two goals shy of 20. Um, like you said, Burakovsky and Devontae Smith-Pelly, who had big moments during the 2018 playoffs, haven't really replicated that magic this year. Uh, their goaltending is definitely a concern. From a team perspective, I just see a really streaky hockey club. Like, average start this year... Then they catch fire. Ovechkin has that monster month, and they're rolling again. They lose six or seven in a row before the All-Star break. And then you look at this week. They beat the Sharks 5-1, to one, and then they give up five to the freaking Ducks and almost give up 40 shots to them. A team that can barely stay healthy, a team that starts Ryan Miller for the first time in months, and they only get, like, not even 30 shots on him. Um, it, it, it's just mind-boggling to, to think how this team can – can be so good on paper but so Jekyll and Hyde on the ice I mean yeah. bottom 10 in goal against this year uh, their power plays middle of the pack their penalty kill is in the bottom 10 probably because they have the second most minor penalty um, and when you take a lot of penalties I don't imagine your comfort level is very high when you're killing penalties all the time um, and their defense uh the only team that has taken more minors than them is Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay can score for days, so they don't really care. Um, it's leaning a lot on Ovechkin once again to score goals. And and that's kind of the problem. When you lean on one guy to, you know, score, um, and I get that, you know, there are a couple of guys that are nearing 20 goals a season, but Ovechkin's still scoring a good chunk of their goals still. And he's nearing his mid-30s. Um, so it's it's just a wear and tear from last year's playoffs, how they've missed the six most shots. They have the seventh most giveaways, 13, four, and seven in one goal games. There's just little room for error in this division. There's just little room for error um, on this team. All it takes is one mistake or one dumb penalty to give you two points or cost you two points. And I think you're right when you say... It's not whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. It's what they're going to do when they make the playoffs. Yeah. When you are a top five scoring team in the first period, when you are a top five scoring team in the second period, and when the third period comes around, you're one of the lowest scoring teams and you've given up the fourth most goals in the third period. In the playoffs, that spells trouble. And if they go through a slump, when you look at their schedule uh, in March, there's a lot of divisional games. There's two games against Tampa Bay. They also face Winnipeg and Toronto. Um, you've got a lot of playoff-hungry clubs in Philadelphia, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Sabres, the Hurricanes, the Canadians, maybe even Minnesota, if they're still relevant by then. Uh, all it takes is one losing streak for Washington to fall off a cliff. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they somehow miss the playoffs. I still think they're going to make the playoffs, 
but it's just a matter of where they fit into the playoff picture and how good they're going to be once they get there. Yeah, so, I feel um, like they did lot, this last lot, year, too. I feel like they did this last year, too, where they just kind of uh, took it easy um, in the regular season, um, and then they kind of went off in the playoffs, um, which is different than what they've done in years past, where, you know, they win president trophies and then uh, they fall short um, in the playoffs. So, uh, so maybe this is something that they're hoping to happen again uh, this time. But you know, this time they don't have Barry Trotz as their coach. Yep. So that that may be uh, that may be the difference maker here. It's like, okay, you can you can slack off now, and you'll probably make the playoffs. But uh, are you going to show up when it matters? And that's um, that's going to be the big question. I, I think the other question. I think the other question is, can they? Because right. again, long playoff run the year before. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, let's go to the rapid fire here. Um, the. All right, so the, the big trade, there is one pretty big trade here. We'll cover two of them, but uh, there is one that was, uh, that kind of had pretty big trade implications, uh, so to speak. Uh, so uh, the Edmonton Oilers trade Cam Talbot to the Philadelphia Flyers to Anthony Stolar, for Anthony Stolarz, um, which, uh, we kind of we've talked throughout this whole season. We've talked about Cam Talbot, or the Edmonton Oilers situ, goalie situation, and the Flyers goalie situation, um, and you know it's it's kind of interesting because I kind of like it for both teams. Um, both haven't played. Uh, both Stolarz or Talbot haven't played for their new teams just yet. Um, it's probably going to change by the end of this week, but. Uh, for the, let's go with the, for the Oilers, first off, you know, Cam Talbot's going to be a UFA this uh, summer, so there's that, but they also, like, signed Koskinen for, to a pretty big deal, so it makes sense cap-wise um, mm -hmm. to trade Cam Talbot out, um, and Anthony Stolarz um, is actually, has been, has shown he can be good in the NHL, it's just that he gets injured all the time. Um, and then with uh, Carter Hart being the way that he is right now, um, it's kind of like like Carter, like Carter, Anthony Stolarz was never going to be that goalie for them um, in yeah. Philly. So it makes sense to m get him to like start more games in Edmonton. Uh, he could be a... He's an RFA next year. If he I think if he plays like... Um, he has to play 10 more games and then he can be an RFA, but otherwise he can be a UFA. Um, so I imagine Edmonton's going to try to get him to be an RFA. Um, and then if he is an RFA, they can keep him under team control for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of like how Stolarz is, um, you know, like Stolarz definitely, like it could be either way for him. He could be... Uh, a good goalie for them um, and they couldn't and he could be a bad goalie for them but either way like he is like you know 
it's like either way it's good cap wise um because you're they're under team control and they have a way to uh it's not like they have a burden of keeping two goalies who are making four million a year um so i like it for edmonton because they save some cap space um and they get a promising goalie who could be something um in the right situation and then the flyers uh like i said anthony stolars may not be the guy uh was never going to be the guy and it seems like they have something going with 20 year old carter hart as crazy as that sounds but at the same time like cam talbot has shown that he um that he he has been good in stretches um both as his backup for Lundqvist uh, back in 2014 and a couple of years ago in Edmonton when he was the starter so uh, he could be good in doses and also I hear that or you were telling me that uh, Talbot and uh, Hart are like best buddies or something like that so um, that could be good for uh, chemistry reasons that you have two goalies that are like Cam Talbot can be the mentor to Carter Hart um, the only question here is like, you know, you still have Brian Elliott on LTIR, you have Nervirth on IR. So, um, they're both all Talbot, Nervirth, and Elliott are all going to be UFAs next year. So you don't have to worry about that for cap reasons. But like, Brian Elliott could come back pretty easily right now. Um, and then what do you do? Because you have Talbot here. So that's what I'm kind of confused about. Maybe there's another trade in the works. But um, yeah, it seems like Talbot is an upgrade on Brian Elliott at least. Yeah, so a bit more depth into this trade here. Um, by the sounds that both guys um, are sound like uh, really good team players. Yep. Um, I'm hearing that uh, Stolarz is pretty big in athletics, so that helps Edmondson. Um, but the other thing that helps the Oilers is yeah, Stolarz is six six by the way. They, yeah. Uh, so Edmonton, <laughs> and that's pretty big for a goalie six foot yeah. six. Um, I know. So the Oilers save three point four million dollars uh, in cap space. Uh, so that would allow them his monster deal once he's cleared to return to duty because he's been injured for a while. Yep. Um, and, and like we saw skin and signed that extension, it's just like, well, there's no way they keep Talbot. Um, so Edmonton seemed like the most logical um, explanation. Um, and frankly, it was inevitable when uh, Koskinen signed that extension. Uh, like you said, there were reports that the Flyers prefer to trade Elliot, but given the fact that Elliot has his own injury issues and he also has the same inconsistencies as Talbot's, where he can be really good, average, or really bad, um, I think the Oilers made the right call to go with a younger goalie that doesn't cost as much, that probably has a better chance of staying with the club because um, Elliot is one of those guys that wasn't going to be re-signed in Philly by the sound of it. And I don't think he would have been re-signed in Edmonton either. So I think Stolarz is the better option. Now, you mentioned uh, is uh, Stolarz's future and whether he could be an RFA or a UFA. So 
Cap Friendly has some interesting uh, tidbit on this. So Stolarz is on a one-year contract with a cap hit of $761,000. He must play 30 minutes or more in 10 of Edmonton's final 25 games to avoid becoming what we call a Group 6 RFA at the end of the year. And you're wondering, hmm, what's a Group 6 UFA? So here's how Cap Friendly describes it. A player whose contract is expiring and meets all the following conditions shall become an unrestricted free agent. The player is 25 years or older than 25 as of June 30th of the calendar year the contract is expiring, so that's one. Two, the players completed three or more professional seasons, qualified by 11 or more professional games for an 18, 19-year-old player, or one or more professional games for a player aged 20 or older in the NHL, minor leagues, European professional league, etc. Um... The other one is the players played less than any. Uh, the players played less than 80 NHL games, or 28 NHL games of 30 minutes or greater for a goaltender. So that is where Stolarz falls under. Is the third one. So the Oilers could lose control of Stolarz if they drop the ball and don't start him enough and don't play him enough uh, down the stretch. So, being the Edmonton Oilers, I would hope they give him as much time as they uh, give Stolarz as much on ice time as they can so they avoid that uh, whole um, what, what do I call it um, cluster you know what uh, because if you look at their minor league system the only other guy that I could think of that is probably ready to make the NHL jump is Al Montoya who you have probably heard of many times before in other teams yeah other than Stolarz, they have nobody else to play backup besides Al Montoya, so they need this guy. Yep. Um, and for those arguing, well, Stolarz is a good goalie, you know, hasn't really, has he really been groomed in the AHL yet? To answer that question, he ranks first in Lehigh Valley history and fifth in FAM's overall history in games played for a goaltender, also second in Lehigh Valley history in wins and sixth overall in FAM's history. Um, so... Um, it's not like one of those young goaltenders that haven't been groomed and the Oilers rush up too soon. He's yeah. got AHL duty. He's played in the NHL before. If you also look at some of his numbers this year, um, I know that GAA is just as horrid as Talbot's. But when you look at his save percentage, when you look at his save percentage from the slot, the inner slot, it's better than Talbot on all three fronts. I mean, you look at Cam Talbot, he's given up four more goals in 12 of his 31 appearances this year. Um, Stat-wise, um, Stolarz hasn't been much better, but Tal- Talbot has played in more games, and it's happened more frequently with him. And in three of his last five appearances, it happened with the Oilers. So when, when I look at those stats, I think... Anthony Stolarz is a better option for the Oilers. At the same time, I don't think Cam Talbot is a failed experiment because when you look at the 73 games he played in Edmonton a couple of seasons ago, he won 42 games. The next year after that, he wins 31 games. He has a 908 save percentage despite his GAA being over three. He played 67 games that year. Um... I definitely think there's upside for Cam Talbot, especially in his relationship with Carter Hart. Carter yeah. Hart actually told the media that 
uh, before his first NHL start, Cam Talbot was one of the people that he called for advice. So the fact that he's a good goalie, a good person, a good mentor, that definitely helps Carter Hart. That definitely helps the Flyers because obviously they want Carter Hart to be their future. So I think definitely Cam Talbot is worth keeping around. Yep. Um, I Maybe it's at a two-year deal at a cheaper cost, but I definitely think uh, they keep him around. Um, so to answer the question, is Brian Elliott's day still numbered? They definitely are. Yep. Because when you look at Cam Talbot, Brian Elliott, and Michael Neuberth, combined they're making $9.36 million this year. So at least one of them is probably going to be out the door by February 25th. Yeah. Um, especially since both of them are, both Elliot and Nervurth are on the IR. Um, so I, I think Cam Talbot could be the good uh, like role model mentor towards Carter Hart. He's been in the league for a while and kind of knows the ins and outs. He's, he's been on the highs and the lows of, of the NHL. So I think it could be, it could work out. It's one of those trades that could work out for both teams, I feel like. Um, what, what, what's also interesting is that before Cam Talbot signed with the Rangers, the yeah. Flyers were one of the teams interested in his services. So they've had their um, eye on him for a while. True. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. The, both. Have, I thought one of these players was going to play um, over the weekend, but it turns out that both didn't play. So, um, But we'll see how um, they do in their first start. Um, Edmonton also made another trade. Um they uh, they they traded uh, Ryan Spooner to for to uh, Vancouver for Sam Gagne. Um, the interesting thing about well, first off, it, this meant that they the Edmonton Oilers traded Jordan Eberle uh, to Ryan for Ryan Strom, and then they traded Ryan Strom for Ryan Spooner, and then they traded Ryan Spooner for to Sam, for Sam Gagne. So they increasingly get worse and worse. Um, so now it's like uh, they technically traded Jordan Eberle for Sam Gagne. Um, Sam Gagne has... I'll, I'll do you one better here because I, I also heard on Twitter, or I guess read on Twitter makes more yeah. sense, because uh, you can't really hear anything. You can only read stuff on Twitter. Well, I guess you could if it's video. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I also saw a tweet that said they traded Chris Pronger for a conditional first round pick that turned into Jordan Eberle. Yep. So if that's true, they technically turned Chris Pronger into a Sam Gagne reunion. Yeah. Right. Sam Gagne used to be on the others. Yeah. The funny thing is, is so I was just looking at his AHL stats um, and he had, uh, I guess he was on loan to the Marlies. And he has thirty. He had thirty-seven points in forty-three AHL games. Um, so it's like it's kind of funny that he um, he was able to even um, like he only played seven games for Vancouver um, this year, and then on the Marlies he was able to actually be pretty good on the AHL team. Um, but yeah, no, I, there isn't really anything notable about this trade because I think it's going to be one of those things where like, even if Sam Gagne gets going or Ryan Spooner gets going, they're only going to be like depth guys at best. Um, but, um, it is worth noting just because of that, 
novelty of you basic the Oilers basically traded uh, Sam Gagne or uh, they basically traded uh, Jordan Eberle to get Sam Gagne um, vis-a-vis a lot of different other players. Um, it's it's also worth noting that it's another one for one trade yep. because the Peter Peter Shirelli effect apparently hasn't died away yep. yet. But this time, um, like the Oilers, kind of won both trades. I feel like well, they could win they, both trades. Um, yeah, they they could. I guess. I mean, uh, John Shannon of Sportsnet mentioned how Gagne's return could help uh, both uh, on the faceoff dot and maybe on the wing. Yeah. You look at Sam Gagne, who hasn't even played in the NHL this year. Like, if you look at the Canucks and all the injuries they've gone through, uh, apparently Sven Berry yep. now has post-concussion syndromes, which is uh, fantastic for their injury situation. And by fantastic, I'm sarcastic when I say that. Um, you look at all of the injuries that the Canucks have had and – how little Sam Gagne has even been utilized. I don't think he's even been with the team all that much this year. Yep. They basically trade a bad contract that they weren't using for Ryan Spooner, who could, who they could probably use. True. Jim Benning has everything to gain in this trade. Yeah, but I mean, just for cap reasons, I feel like they I, they got something. But yeah, I see what you mean. Um, mm. And I mean, also like. Like, in terms of, like, the Stolars for Talbot, like, like, sure, Talbot's technically the better player, but the Oilers save so much cap space that mm-hmm. um, it kind of makes sense. Even if Stolars isn't good and, and Talbot uh, suddenly becomes a really good goalie there in Philly, um, it's still, like, a good, like, they save some cap space that the Oilers yeah. need. Also... Uh, this I just. Think he, he, yeah, this, I, I, you, you go on. You go on, and I'll make my point. I've, I've well, well, uh, this it. just in. Uh, oh. the, speaking of the Oilers, uh, oh. the Oilers have placed defenseman Brandon Manning on waivers for the purpose of assignment to the Condors. So they they're already regretting the one for one trade uh, early on in the year, which was uh, Manning for uh, Drake Kudrula. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so yeah, right. uh, so that's the other movement they made. But that yeah, like just uh, happened as we recorded. Yeah, it's interesting because I also heard on the grapevine on Twitter as well that um, by calling up Sakara and, and moving Talbot, they would they would have like eight or nine defensemen. So one of them would have to be demoted. Yeah. And one of the and one of the I guess Edmonton beat writers suggested that Brandon Manning was for that and um i guess his prediction came true brandon manning placed on waivers by the oilers yep and i guess it's a i guess they chose him because they thought eh, probably no one's gonna pick up brandon manning so he's probably safe to go down the yeah place, but we'll see um it, it, it's just what <laughs> it, it just boggles my mind with the with the oilers and and all the trades that they've made i i do think the can trade makes sense because if he stayed in Edmonton any longer, he'd be even more damaged goods than what he is now. True. I think Cam Talbot needed a fresh start in order to be good again. And he wasn't going to get a really quality op- uh he wasn't gonna get a quality chance to be good in Edmonton again after Costin signed that contract. So it's like even if Cam Talbot does well in Philly, it's one of those situations where even if he stayed, um 
it probably would have been more of the same struggles for True. the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's, so that's a good point. It's, it's not like they should never have traded Cam Talbot. He was, it was a bad trade. Right. And and if they say that, well, they should also say we shouldn't have but signed that cost getting guys. I didn't, I didn't realize this, but Talbot's going to be a UFA next year, so he well, he doesn't even year, have to yeah. be he doesn't even have to be a flyer uh, this year. So he could sign with whoever needs a goalie. Um, so yeah. so there's that. But but uh, I hear they've um, I hear that he's been open to re-signing with the Flyers. In fact, he actually had a ten team uh, list where I think I believe it was ten teams where he'd be willing to accept a trade to. Flyers weren't on there. Oh. Okay. So he actually had to waive his no trade, I guess, or, or part of that no trade to go to Philly. Interesting. Uh, so injury list. We don't have a ton this week, but. Uh, some notable ones, uh, John Gibson and Chad Johnson are both on the IR at the same time. Um, it seems like Gibson gets injured every year or has a notable injury every year. Um, it just happens. I mean, I guess luckily Anaheim's season is over, so it's, it doesn't really matter that much now. But, uh, yeah, he has a head injury. Uh, he's currently day-to-day, um... But the good news for the Ducks is even though the, those two goalies are out, um, Ryan Miller is back. He returned. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually played pretty well last night. Um, he won. He beat the uh, the Capitals. But, um, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> that definitely hurts that they don't have a healthy John Gibson um, in net. Yeah, and part of the reason why they were able to get through last year is because they had – Ryan Miller in net, and he was playing so well. Yep. Uh, when Gibson got hurt last year, and that and that wasn't the case because Miller was hurt, and uh, that's why they got Chad Johnson, who, by the way, is also dealing with a head injury. He uh, was struck by a puck during practice uh, last Tuesday, and he was uh, placed on IR after experiencing headaches. Yeah. So um, it's a back, head, neck issue for both guys, and um, the. The other good news is that Kevin Boyle, who um, they brought up after the Gibson injury, has actually played decent for them. Yeah, um, he came in relief of Chad Johnson uh, in a game against the Flyers, stopped 24 of 26, perfect 35 for 35 in his first start against Vancouver, and then he stops 26 of 28 in a loss to the Bruins. So um, for a 26-year-old that has never played in the NHL before, not a bad start. No, not, not at all. Um, it would be kind of funny if the Ducks all of a sudden start like like start winning games, right? As they started to give up and like fire their coach and all that stuff, um, it would be kind of funny. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, the uh, uh, the Winnipeg Jets kind of hear some bad news. Uh, first off, uh, Nikolai Ellers is out another one to two weeks. It seems um, he has been injured since January. Um, so, so there's that. Also, uh, Dustin Bufflin is back on the IR. Uh, he has a lower body injury too. So, um, it says he's day to day as well, but he doesn't have a timetable of when he comes back. But it seems like Dustin Bufflin has been, um, on and off the IR this entire season. Yeah, I, I remember um, when we talked about. I think it was Winnipeg when we talked about them and are they for real. Um, or it was it was a part of another segment, but we mentioned that Bufflin had, I think at the time, 29 points, but he only played in 32 games. 
Right. So you're right. He has missed quite a bit of time this year. Um, now, the good news about Ehlers is that head coach Paul Maurice was hesitant to call it a setback, which is good news, I guess. But uh, nevertheless, he's out another week or two or three, and he hasn't played since January. So, um, But e- even then, the Jets are still a powerhouse in the West. So <laughs> they're 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 still kind of they're still kind of laughing their way to the top because uh, injuries haven't slowed them down this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then um, okay, and then lastly, Malkin Evgeny Malkin was suspended one game for basically slitting uh, Michael Raffles' throat uh, with his stick or high sticking is the is the technical term, but it it was. Pretty, uh, it was a pretty nasty uh, high sticking there. Um, so yeah, he was suspended one game. Um, what's crazy though is like Malkin is like went on a tear this weekend. He had like, uh, he had, I think he had two goals. Yeah, he had two goals on Saturday, and then he had two goals on Sunday as well. And it, like two of them were um, like a behind the back spinorama type goal. Um, so he he's on another level now, or he's starting to get going now. Uh, but yeah, the it seemed like uh, he like intentionally tried to injure Michael uh, Raffle. I was thinking that he probably should have been suspended, maybe like another game, like maybe more than one game, because uh, it looked pretty nasty. But and he does have a history of doing this kind of stuff. But um, I guess at least it was one game. Well, yeah, I, and you know, you're right. He does have a history of, you know, questionable plays, but he hasn't really been suspended for anything. True. So he doesn't have that suspension history. But yeah, it's important to note what Raffle did before Malkin swung his stick at his face. So Raffle and Malkin are battling for the puck at the blue line. Puck is closer to Malkin. Raffle is doing all he can to get it. Malkin won't let him. Maintaining good positioning the entire time, he wins the puck battle. Yep. So Raffle tries to get a hold of Malkin's waist. Then about a second after trying to do that, gives Gino a shot to the back of his head with his glove. Then he goes away. That's when Malkin swings his stick near Raffle's face and the match penalty is called. So first of all, I agree Malkin deserves a suspension because that that doesn't belong yep. in the game of hockey. That's pretty malicious. But for those who are arguing, oh, he deserved more than one game, there are three reasons why I disagree with that argument. First off, he admitted he was wrong. He knows that what he did on the ice was dirty. He claims that Raffle did a bit of selling on his part, but in, on, on his part, on Malkin's part, he owns up to what he did on the ice. So that's one thing. Second thing, he gets a match penalty and a suspension. Michael Raffle got absolutely nothing on the play. He got absolutely nothing after the fact. So if I give Malkin, say, five games for this, I'm giving Raffle a few games as well because cheap shots to the back of the head after you lose a puck battle aren't exactly um, legal. And I don't see Malkin doing anything of that nature uh, that warranted a punch to the back of the head. And that punch to the back of the head is what led to Malkin swing his stick at Raffle in the first place. So... Um, I'm not going to argue, oh, Raffle didn't get hurt. That's why suspension was only one game. You still want that play out of the NHL. Um, I'm not also going to go hard on the heat. Malkin hasn't really received any major suspension before this. So that's why he only got one game. The, the two primary points I'm really going hard on is that Malkin admitted he was wrong. And number two, 
Raffle didn't get anything on this play when he probably should have. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think we're in agreement on that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a, just a vicious play on his yeah, part. I'm not, I'm not taking away from what Malkin did. What Malkin did was yeah. terrible. And he um, should be suspended for it. But yep. I'm arguing anything more than one game, Raffle gets something. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of short on time here, but I do want to yep. mention quickly that Colin Delia inks a three-year extension, one million annual average value. Uh, that's a pretty good deal for um, for him, especially since he's been starting a couple of games here and there for the Blackhawks. Um, so like that, that could be pretty sweet if he becomes if Cross Crawford is seriously hurt uh, for the rest of like you know. Um, and, and retires, um, then you have Delia, who you can become like groomed to be the goalie of the future. So I like that deal. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have thoughts, but um, I do want to get going on the Bruins. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of running short on time, but um, when the one of the reporters mentioned it to Crawford, he immediately smiled and he was happy for Delia. And then when the cameras turned away, he gave Delia a high five. So, oh, nice. Um, He's got he's got respect amongst his peers, which is a bonus. Yep. Uh, all right, you're going first here on the Bruins sense. Oh yeah, this is gonna be a long segment then. Um, <laughs> so taking a look at what the Sens did, well, they got off to a good start against Carolina on Tuesday. As Stone, of course, gets his 26th of the campaign in the first period to open the scoring. Magnus Pajarvi almost makes it two nothing in the second, but kicking motion callback. Sens still up one nothing after two. And when you look at how the third period ended, maybe that non-goal was the TSN turning point because the Hurricanes tied up 16, to second, uh, 16 seconds into the third, uh, thanks to Michael Furland, who is also a pending UFA. Uh, Justin Williams uh, fires an absolute laser under the bar and over the glove of Andrews Nielsen. Can't do much about that. Uh, so that power play marker makes it 2-1. to one. The Canes get another power play marker, this one from Thibaut Teravainen. Uh, who then scores his second of the game to seal it late. Canes win 4-1. Uh, Nielsen, as mentioned, got the start for Ottawa. He stopped 33-37. Uh, McElhaney do, uh, doing his job at the other end uh, for Carolina. So then we go to Detroit for a Thursday night game where Andreas Athanasiu has been known to prey upon the sense in previous meetings. And this time it only took 10 minutes and 44 seconds to bust out the Athanasiu-later.jpg. And after Brady Kachuk evens the score at one, the JPEG returns as Athanasiu forces the penalty shot and converts first 20th of the year. Um, after the first period, the Wings got 15 shots on Andrews Nielsen. They had 14 shots in the first period alone. They had 15 the rest of the way. The Sens continue to pour in the pressure towards Jimmy Howard in his 500th NHL game. And uh, to Matt Duchesne's credit, he finally solved him and tied it up. Then a turnover behind the net by Dylan DeMello leads to Franz Nielsen's ninth of the year. Howard was his flawless 12 for 12 in the third period. Wings win 3-2. to two. So... Again, one of those meetings where the Sens come close to tying it, maybe maybe completing the comeback, but too little, too late, too many mistakes leads to another L on their forehead. Uh, their four-game road trip then continued on Saturday against Winnipeg, and uh, we'll talk about the Jets plenty in this segment, uh, but we'll get to Mark Stone first, who got his 27th of the year for those wondering career high 
uh, for goals in a season for Mark Stone. The Jets get not one, not two. Uh, the Jets get not one, but two, two shorthanded goals in the first period, Man. and they have a two-to-one lead heading into the dressing room. Rudolph Balsers uh, gets a power play goal to even the score at two in the second. It would stay that way through 40. Uh, Matt Duchesne, hey, surprise, surprise, another pending UFA getting on the board. His 27th of the year, Ottawa's third power play goal of the game sends up in front. Of course, the Jets tied up because they're the Jets and the Sens are the Sens. Overtime is needed, uh, except Ottawa doesn't lose this time. Brian DeSingle, pending UFA, playing the role of hero with 116 left in the extra session. Uh, the shots were 41 to 26, favoring the Sens, who had seven power play chances and 11 power play shots. And uh, for a second straight Saturday against Winnipeg, Duchesne, DeSingle, and Stone, all pending UFAs, all getting on the board. In fact, um, the Jets actually didn't even get more than 10 shots in a period once yeah. in this game. Yeah. Didn't even reach 30 shots in the game. So on Ottawa... You were you were watching the game as well, Brett. So you thought Ottawa played better than Winnipeg. I did, yeah. Pure, like it seemed like they were trying harder. It se- well, purely because you just mentioned the shots. Like it seemed like uh, Ottawa was just trying hard. Like they kept on putting shots on net, which is something you have to do um, in games. And it was just, uh, yeah. I felt like I was very impressed by the Senators. Um, in that game, because they they were out playing the Jets, which is not a hard feat. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, before we get to the trade talks, you might be wondering why Craig Anderson didn't get any playing time this week. It's because he took a tennis ball to the eye while in the gym. Jeez. So, Anders Nielsen got three straight starts as a result. Uh, with luck, uh, he's going to be back in the cage soon. Uh, until Anderson comes back, Philip Gustafson, recall from AHL Belleville to back up Nielsen, hasn't started yet. Uh, Mark Borowiecki also hurt. Um, he blocked a shot in the Carolina game on the skate laces. Uh, will not appear during the rest of their current four-game road trip. The earliest he could return is Friday night at home when the Sens face the Blue Jackets. And uh, given what could happen this week and leading up to February 25th, uh, the Sens might look a lot different. Um, so uh, before I talk about... Um, what uh, the Sens could do. Uh, what are your overall thoughts, Brett, on the Sens now and what they could look like by next Monday? Yeah, I think... Um, well, I think we've talked about this off-air. Or we, we talk about this every week, pretty much. Yeah. Um, the, I think the, the consensus is, is that I think it makes sense to trade... Well, all three of these guys, uh, Duchesne, Dezingle, and Stone, um, could all garner a first-round pick. Um, and um, I think it makes the most sense to trade Duchesne, because that's going to give you the most return. Um, and then um, I would try to trade Dezingle, too. Um, I feel like, yeah, he's a great young player, but... I think you guys can afford to lose him, um, and if, especially if you can get a first out of him, and then or like a young prospect, um, and then uh, the only player of those three that I think you would you should keep is Mark Stone. Um, it seems like he's been on the team for 
however many years. Um, he's basically a leader for your team. He's going to be your future captain um, if you don't sign him. So um, I would I would like to think that he, he seems like the type of guy to be loyal to a team um, and uh, wouldn't, like, even, I know you keep on saying that if Duchesne moves, then Stone's also probably going to want to go. But I don't know. I, I think, I think Stone seems to be the type of person who will stay um, just to wait it out uh, just because it seems like he, he likes it in Ottawa. So we'll see. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back and forth between the two. We'll start with Mark Stone because before the start of the Sens-Jets game, uh, Mark Stone declined to speak with the media. And about 24 hours later, he wasn't present at practice due to a maintenance day. Uh, Guy Boucher said he's logged a lot of ice time, giving him a break. Um, it's a sense, so a lot of people are assuming that, Man- that a Manitoba-born superstar is going home to Winnipeg. Uh, but it might be the exact opposite. According to Elliot Friedman on Sunday, or maybe it was late Saturday, the Sens are trying to find common ground on an extension with Mark Stone in the coming days and will make a decision on how they'll proceed after that. It doesn't mean that Stone is staying put, but it's a sign that the door is still open for him to stay. Uh, Like I said before, Mark Stone is the guy they can't afford to lose. Like I said, just hit 27 goals, career high for him. Point per game player when he's healthy and everything is clicking. Leads the NHL in takeaways this year, not the first time he's done that. You can get him at Duchesne if you draft and develop well or maybe lure somebody in free agency when you're good. If you trade Mark Stone, one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL, the Sands rebuild is set back, I would say, at least two or three years. Yeah. Because not too many players, maybe Kopitar and Bergeron, but not too many players are on Mark Stone's level as far as his two-way game. So in the case of Matt Duchesne, he's been made available. A lot of NHL teams have already shown interest in the pending UFA Uh, You can say what you want about Matt Duchesne, but he has the talent and the swagger to be a good player in this league. He's shown it uh, since he got over those first few months in Ottawa. He's going to hit 30 goals this year. But if Matt Duchesne signs for eight years in Ottawa and they give him the money he wants and he's not winning by year three and he wants out, the Sens lose Stone and maybe Matt Duchesne later. So that's why I think you're right. The safer bet is to keep Stone and trade Duchesne, even though I would prefer both players stay on board. But I don't think that's a possibility at this point. So Pierre Dorian has to get the best return possible. So the Sens are now in a position, that being said, if Duchesne leaves, oh, they can give Mark Stone more money. And they should. Give him what he wants. Just make sure he doesn't leave. But... Uh, Nick Kiprios of Sportsnet uh, thinks that a possible roadblock is signing bonus salary. And this is actually tossed around when they were trying to um, re-sign Eric Carlson. And uh, Kipper says, as far as Stone is concerned, structure and signing bonus continues to be an issue. We saw a guy like Matthews get up to 94% all in signing bonus. I don't think Melnick needs to go all in there, but he certainly has to be in the ballpark of what is acceptable for these stars in today's market. I guess, in my opinion, it all depends on what Melnick's definition of acceptable is. Um, so that's on the Mark Stone front. We go back to Matt Duchesne. Um, like I said, a lot of suitors will be interested from the East and the West. Uh, TSN's Pierre Lebrun mentioned that Columbus and Nashville were two of those interested teams. 
I'm thinking the Jets are the most serious, whether it's Matt Duchesne or whether it's Mark Stone. I think the Jets are the most serious right now to land at least one of them. Um, and the reason I say that is because I saw this tweet from Winnipeg sports columnist Mike McIntyre. It reads, I just spotted Jets GM Kevin Sheveldayoff and Sens GM Pierre Dorian meeting in Sheveldayoff's suite at Bell MTS Place during the second intermission of the Manitoba Moose game. Mark Chipman of the Jets front office is here as well. So that was the first tweet. 15 minutes later, he tweets, Dorian has left the meeting with Kevin Sheveldayoff and just spent a long time chatting on the phone. Kevin Sheveldayoff and Mark Chipman are now together in the Jets GM suite. A reminder, all this could mean nothing. So Mark Stone is a Manitoba boy. He didn't chat with the media before the game on Saturday. My thought process at first, oh boy, he's getting traded. My thought process now is if these discussions with the Jess Brass are true, if they existed, I think those discussions are about Matt Duchesne, given what Darren Drager told us on Sunday, that the Sens are focusing their attention towards Mark Stone um, within the next couple of days. Um, I would assume either Mark Stone gets re-signed or he's on the market. Yeah. Um, so that's the latest on Mark Stone, the latest on Matt Duchesne. He's getting interest. Um, because if there's one thing that Patrick Line uh, got last year at the deadline, was a spark, it was a spark when they got Paul Stasny. Matt Duchesne is a center like Paul Stasny. And right now, Patrick Line is struggling to score goals. So Matt Duchesne on the Jets sparking Patrick Line would make total sense for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I also think if the talks with Stone doesn't work out for Ottawa and they don't go with Matt Duchesne, I also think the Jets could be back in on Mark Stone. The other thing about Mark Stone is I also heard that Vegas could be uh, making a serious offer for Mark Stone, or they're certainly serious about trying to get him. Um, so it it's going to be a very interesting week. I wouldn't be surprised if both Stone and Duchesne's fates are sealed uh, by the time we record next weekend. But um, they'll definitely be decided on Monday. Uh, I think Dezingle and CDC, although no one's talking about them right now, it wouldn't surprise me if both of them get moved on Monday because I go back to Melnick's uh, message to the fans um, back in September, a few days before Carlson was traded, and he mentioned getting really, really younger next year. So if they get a couple of draft picks, a couple of prospects in exchange for Dezingle and CC, um, if the options there would not surprise me in the slightest if Malkin tells Dorian, make the deal. So um, it should be an interesting week, and I hope at least the Sens sign Mark Stone. Yeah. Or, or somebody. Somebody that will make this team less bad for the next couple of years and beyond that. And I think the guy that can keep the Sens at a point of contention and do it sooner is Mark Stone. I think he's the safer option. Yeah, I think we're in agreement with that. Uh, yeah, we'll sh we shall see. Um, it seems like the Rangers have a decision to make with their rentals and um, Panarin is also the the big ones, but yeah, the Senators are going to be the team to watch out for. I think once once Ottawa figures that out, 
what they're going to do, then everything else will move forward. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, quickly here. Uh, so the Bruins played four games. Um, I do want to talk about Pasternak. Um, he got uh, first off. I'll yeah. I guess I'll mention that before I get into the game recaps. Um, the uh, Pasternak. Uh, so apparently Pasternak, uh, according to the team, he uh, he was at a chair like a sponsors event on last Sunday, um, and he reportedly fell and broke his thumb. Um, now they didn't say if he was inebriated or not, um, if he was drunk or not, but at the same time, it's like. How do you break your thumb by falling? Um, you have to, so there's something going on. I'm pretty sure it was because he got too drunk um, and just like, it was like an injury in that sense. Uh, the timetable they say is that he's out two weeks. Um, I'm not sure if that's gonna happen or not, but. I think, I think what just, I heard is that uh, he will be reevaluated in two weeks, so he's out for at least two right. weeks, and it could be more. So the only, so I, I guess I'm okay. I feel like the Bruins will make the playoffs without him. Um, albeit it'll probably be like the second wild card, but at the same time, it's like, um, like I just want him back when the playoffs happen. Um, and maybe this will inspire the team to get, um like a winger um if he's not if he's seriously out longer it's just a crazy thing to like think about like when i read it i was just like are you serious he's out like he fell outside on, with a thumb like thumb injury like you you fall, like it just it just boggles my mind how this could happen even um but um yeah it's happened uh <laughs> there's not much to really say about it but it it's just one of the strange injuries that he literally fell, and that's how that's what teams are tell uh, that's what the Bruins are telling everyone is that he fell, and like you know it's just and knowing the Bruins' history with how they dealt with Sagan when he partied and stuff, it's just like come on, <laughs> just it's 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 nuts to me to think like it just gets me worried. I guess is all it's just. He, he he was part he was drinking too much at a sponsorship event and it, but the Bruins aren't saying that um, so I just wish the Bruins just said like hey he got drunk um, too drunk and he fell um, down somehow like on the team bus before I think that uh, even on the statement they said like he it was at 1105. Like, they were trying to purposely say that it was before curfew, um, you know? So, it's it just, it just, like, just just admit that he was drunk, or just, like, like, or they could, I could even buy if they said that he hurt his thumb in, like, a, at, during a game or something. Like, just, but, like, just give us more specifics. There's something going on, and they're, it's just or frustrating, maybe he, got you know? into, maybe he got into a fist fight. Yeah, maybe that maybe happened, too. Uh, but either way, just, like, say what he injured. Like, usually, like, around this time of year, like, it's either upper body or lower body. But now they say, like, now teams are going to target his thumb because they know that 
he injured his thumb somehow. So it's like, I don't know, it's just, uh, uh, I'm getting a little bit worried about this team, honestly, but <laughs> it's just... I, I just it needed could, to rant that could, out. It could be worse. I just, I just, it's true. It could be so no, I, I know, I know, I know. It could be worse, but I, I just needed to rant that out. It's just, yeah, it, I, you know? I definitely think, I definitely think you're right. They are beating around the bush, and yep. we're not being told the full story. Yeah. Um. So I'm just, you know, I, I don't know. I'm annoyed by that. But, anyways, we don't have Pasternak. The past is the past. Whatever. Um. <laughs> The, the Bruins played the Avalanche on, uh, it was as we spoke, um, yeah. but they, uh, so it was Sunday. So, so Pasternak was playing, but, um, he didn't score anything. Um, McKinnon gets a goal. So this was while I was recording. Um, and then I watched the rest of the game. Um, John Moore gets a goal. Um, and then Brad Marchand scores in overtime. It was a nice tic-tac-toe goal. Uh, there in overtime, um, nothing really of note otherwise from that. But yeah, there was that. Um, then the Bruins. So this was the first game without Pasternak. Um, and they played uh, the the Blackhawks. Um, and so things started off with Alex DeBrincat um, s- scoring, and I thought like, oh, is DeBrin- Is this going to be the DeBrincat game where he's going to? Uh, um, because he, he was another one um, where we kind of uh, didn't draft him in 2016, although a lot of teams didn't draft Dabrinkat. Um, but I thought, like, oh, no, this is going to be the game where Dabrinkat starts going off. But uh, he uh, So he scored the first period, and then, um, and then uh, David Krejci scores. Uh, uh, Danon Heinen scores after that, shortly after that. Um, and then Brad Marchand scores to end the period. Um, and then we have uh, DeBrusque uh, scores to make it 4-1 in the second period. And then you have Duncan Keith um, from uh, Connor Murphy and Cahoon. Um, and then in the third period, Patrick Kane gets uh, keeps his point streak alive. Um, so now all of a sudden it's 4-3. Um, and then uh, Peter Solaric. Um, gets a power play goal. It was a pretty nice goal because he like crashed the net, um, and there was that. And then David Krejci makes things six three. It was one of those games where the score doesn't tell the true story of the game, um, because like the Bruins were, uh, it was pretty close throughout, but um, it ended up being a six three game. All of a sudden. Um, also, I do want to note that uh, DeBru- Jake DeBrusque had a goal and two assists, um, and Dan Heinen had a goal and two assists, uh, which was nice to see, especially since this was the first game that Pasto's out. It's kind of funny that like the Bruins score six goals without their best scorer on the team, so it's just a, it's a weird, funny kind of situation there. Um, and then... Um, and then we have uh, the the Bruins played the Ducks, so they're now out on the West Coast here. Um, and they play the Ducks. Uh, yeah, so there's three goals. Um, Noel Chari gets a goal in the first period. Jake DeBrusque get it was pretty. This was a pretty funny goal because what happened was Kevin Gold, Boyle, the um, the goalie there, he uh, like he start like 
uh, Krejci starts uh, going towards the net, and Boyle actually like uh, goes out of the crease to try to save it, and then uh, Krejci just makes a move, and and all DeBrusque had to do was uh, score or just shoot it, and and that's what he did. So there was that, and then Chris Wagner gets an empty net goal in the third period. Um, yeah, another one of those games where um, it was. They all played sound hockey there. Um, yeah, uh, so there's that. And then lastly, we have uh, the Bruins played the Kings. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, again, he, he gets his third goal of, um, in three games. Um, and uh, yeah, so he, he starts things off. Um, Ilya Kovalchuk then scores um, in the second period. Uh, Brad Marchand get, gets another uh, goal in the second period, um, and then um, and then things tied up got tied up in the third period with Alex Iafalo, um, and then all of a sudden I started to get pretty nervous because I was like, this should be a team that we should beat because it's a tied game, but uh, no, this uh, then Charlie McAvoy uh, gets like uh, he shoots it from like it was further away um and oh no no what happened was Jake DeBrusque actually shoots it and then Charlie McAvoy kind of uh deflects the the goal deflects the shot and it goes in so there was that and then la like a couple minutes later Patrice Bergeron scores um it was an unassisted goal uh, this was actually by far Charlie McAvoy's best game I know he already scored he got the game winning goal but like he was all over the ice. He had um, it says here that he has three hits and two blocks, but um, it seemed like he was just making plays happen. Um, it looks like he's. I know he had an injury history, and like people were kind of worried about him, but it looks like he uh, is back to uh, what we expect of him um, this year. So I, I look forward to that to see how he does. They play, the Bruins play the Sharks uh, tonight on Monday, so you guys will know the score of that game uh, before um, you hear this, or after you hear this, I guess. Um, but, uh, so th that happens, then they play Vegas on Wednesday, and then they play Jordan Winnington on Saturday, or, or the Blues, um, as they say. Um, and yeah. So uh, there goes that, but yeah, it seems like we're on the West Coast swing of things now. Should be interesting. Um, I forget which game uh, Cassidy got his 100th career win, but he got his 100th career win. I think, I think it was after uh, the Tuesday win over Chicago. Okay. Um, so, so there's that. Kudos to him. Um, good, to, good to see that. Uh, I know he struggled. He was the Washington Capitals coach. Um, to start his coaching career in the NHL, so um, and he did. He only lasted a season there, um, so it's good to see that he uh, he can come back and bounce back from that. Um, and he's been a good coach for us, so uh, no complaints from him so far. Um, also, this kind of just relates to Boston hockey news, um, but Northeastern wins their second straight bean pot. They beat BC. Um, also, uh, Caden Primu, who is a Montreal Canadiens prospect, he gets the, um, the MVP of the tournament. Uh, he's going to be a pretty good player for the Canadiens, unfortunately. But, um, 
it, it is weird seeing like uh, a guy like that um, and then you know that he's going to be on your division rival especially the the Montreal Canadiens um, he's going to be a pretty good player for them um, I know Carey Price is uh, has like eight more years left on his contract but I don't know Keaton Primo might uh, take over pretty soon um, they definitely have something there um, yep yeah, um, uh, so this has been a kind of a long episode for us but uh, you guys are used to that by now I guess um, you can reach us on Twitter at uh, lace up podcast our face up, our Facebook is lace M up um, you can catch us on SoundCloud in iTunes um, subscribe there follow us there um, and uh, yeah that's about it um, I'm Brett Dubuff I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 160 of the Lace Up Podcast.